Well, we are going to move forward in our study of Genesis, and um, we're looking at the first 11 chapters this summer, and, and our theme has been our beginning, our beginnings, really. And open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 is where, where we're going to be today. Um, I want to encourage you in a couple of different directions. Um, back at the table here, there are some, there's some runoff documents over there. They are web pages. And what they are is, um, I've asked an individual who is uh, kind of a, an expert on resources um, to, to provide for us some of the best um, blog articles that he can find on things that we're talking about. And over there right now is in, in a document from the Institute of Creation Research, from Answers in Genesis, and from Creation Ministries. They're excellent documents. And um, just to kind of give you some, some response to many of the things that you hear uh, in all different arenas. As a matter of fact, I've got one I want to show you, just a brief video. I'm going to do this most every week. Um, and most of these will be from a group called the Institute for Creation Research. And um, you can find all these online. But what I like about this group, what they do is, is, is they're able to speak to issues in a way that, that speak to us as people. And uh, there's a lot of evidences that we can, that we can be exposed to that are, show this truth. Now, I'm going to say something you might not be able to accept. But science and the Bible do not contradict. God's Word and God's world do not contradict. All right? Keep that in mind. Let's watch this couple minutes. Many written languages are alphabet-based, but Chinese word characters are made of picture symbols called pictographs. But where did these Chinese picture words come from? The clues are in some of the pictographs themselves. If you look at the combination of symbols for the pictograph word to create, you'll see symbols for walk, talk, living, dust, and man. Reminders of Genesis. God used his mouth to create by breathing life into Adam's body made from dust. Adam and Eve looked fully mature, able to walk and talk right from the start. One Chinese word for garden also includes images from Genesis. The early Chinese combined the ideas of two persons who received the breath of life after the first one, Adam, was made from the dust of the earth. The Genesis flood is referenced in Chinese pictographs and characters for boat and flood, with both symbols using exactly eight survivors of the worldwide flood. Each of these historic events in Genesis would have been fresh on the minds of those who survived the Tower of Babel. Ancient Chinese pictographs have been around for thousands of years, so the earliest Chinese words must have included basic historical facts of Genesis when the symbols were invented. Interesting little tidbit. And um, each week I'm going to show you one of those that kind of just... Challenge your thinking a little bit because we are overwhelmed, are we not, with all types of information trying to tell us that what God has told us in Genesis 1 through 11 is not true. What I want to share with you is from God's Word, what God's Word has to say is true. And the thing that, that is so important for us to recognize is this reality. What we believe about Genesis 1-11 through 11 makes a huge difference in our lives. Makes all the difference in the world. I had you to think about a time when you saw the sky and you were moved by it. 
was I share with you, this week my son and I were on a hiking adventure, and it was just that, and um, we were miles away from civilization, we think, and the thing is, you get out there, and I've been in an environment where there is no other light source, all right? What happened was, we know we're, we're camping, okay, or should I say, laying wide awake on the ground, okay, that's what it really amounts to, and I wake up, you know, every two hours, that's just how it works, okay, and one particular time, I got out of the tent and walk outside to do the thing that you do when you walk outside of a tent. And, you know, I'm standing out there and I'm, I'm looking around. And I'm struck by the sky. I said to my son the next day, did you get up in the middle of the night and see the sky? Yeah. So many stars. I'm sitting here, I mean, it just, you, you just can't imagine, if you haven't been there, if you haven't seen a sky with no light pollution, I looked outside last night. I'm like, this place is a joke. I can't see anything, right? Just, there's so much light here. But out here in the middle of Dolly Sodge, where there is no light, you're struck by the number of stars. So I'm sitting there looking at the stars, and sure enough, because we are camping, you know, a mosquito lands on my neck and <laughs> smash it. And I'm sitting there rolling this dead thing in my hands. <laughs> and this thought came to me. You know... How you interpret what I'm experiencing right now makes all the difference. Am I just this thing further down the road by, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of years? And I, through chance, have evolved to where I can speak and think and talk and and do all the things that I can do and I can crush this mosquito because I am the one who has made it? The survival of the fittest is me? Or do I look up at the sky and see the wonder of who God is and all that there is and realize how small I really am? How you view your existence, how you view Genesis 1 through 11. How you view your beginning makes all the difference in your life, in the lives of those who are around you, and in our world. It truly does. I want you to understand that evolution, and that is what we are going to be encountering when we talk about Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be talking about evolution. You understand what, what evolution is. Evolution is a theory... But it is based upon faith. And I would say that even many scientists would say it is a theory based upon irrational faith. As a matter of fact, as you you read what scientists have to say about many of these things, those that interpret science not from the view that evolution must occur, what you see is there is a desire to find most anything. Some reason to come up with our existence. And apart from God's word, we don't have one. But what I want you to understand is that the creation viewpoint, the the view that God made the heavens and the earth, is not an irrational faith. Now, here comes a word. You need to understand what it means. It is a revelational faith. What does that mean? It is based upon what God has revealed in His Word. That is where we get this idea that God created the heavens and the earth. It's not because what I see in Chinese characters, as interesting as that is, 
And as much evidence as that is, my belief in why I believe that God created the heavens and the earth, He did it in six days, it's not because of what I've come convinced of through science. It's not because I've always been told that. It is from the revelation of God. Because here is the truth. Only one person was there. Only one person was there. Only God. And He has told us in His Word how He created the heavens and the earth. And I'm telling you, you can come to no other conclusion when you read Genesis 1. There is no other rational conclusion from the account of God's Word and the rest of Scripture as we saw last week. There is no other conclusion than that God made the heavens and the earth. And realize that for thousands of years, now be careful of your pride, okay, just be careful of your pride. I'll tell you what I mean in just a minute. For thousands of years, if you said that there was any other view as a Christian that you could have other than a six-literal-day six creation, you would be laughed out of whatever room you were in. This was the view for thousands of years. Thousands of years of believers have read Scripture and said, God made the heavens and the earth. And it was not until the middle of the 19th century that people started coming to another idea. Be careful of pride. I'll tell you what I'm about in just a minute. It was not to the middle of the 19th century that anybody came with any other idea. And their idea that man evolved over millions of years, it did not come from any change of their interpretation of God's Word. No one read God's Word and said, Oh, millions of years. Oh, billions of years. That did not happen. What happened was, Rather than theology, meaning the doctrine of God, rather than theology being what was called the queen of sciences, see, theology was called a science at one time. And it was called the queen of sciences, meaning that as we looked at life, we looked through the prism of God's Word and see all that there is. And that was turned upside down to where now theology is quite honestly seen as a very small discipline and held with great contempt and really seen as foolish. But you know, that's what I am. I'm a theologian. I may not be a professional, a big-name theologian, but that's what we are. We study theology. And so it takes priority. Everybody, now listen to this, everybody interprets And everybody prioritizes. As a biblicist, as a person who gives the Word of God the authority it demands, I give it first priority. I give God's Word first priority. Everything else falls secondary to the Word of God. That's what it means to be a biblicist. That's what it means to have a Christian worldview. Turn in your Bible. I already, told, already invited you to, uh, to Genesis, but just as a review of last week, um, I'm going to change my mind. Go to Isaiah. Um, I want to just show you one or two verses of Scripture here that demonstrate that what I'm going to be presenting over the next couple of minutes is not only in the book of Genesis. 
This is not only in the book of Genesis. Go to Isaiah 45. I spent some hours on this passage this week and, and really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to jump in here. I don't have time to deal with it all, but go to verse number 18 of chapter 45 of Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah writes on behalf of the Lord. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Isn't that a great truth? I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I love Isaiah 45. I've really enjoyed that over the last couple of weeks, seeing God declare that He is the maker of heaven and earth. And I love the fact that He says it here, and we're going to see it in Genesis 1, that He made it to be inhabited. We saw last week that from the beginning to end, from Alpha to Omega, from the beginning to end of Scripture, God has declared that He made the heaven and the earth. And Jesus Himself, you need to know, Jesus Himself believed that God made the heaven and the earth. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. You can go there, or you probably, even when I start talking about it, you'll recognize it. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. In the beginning, God created male and female. Now, notice what that means. That Jesus recognized God created. And when did He do it? When did God create male and female? Listen to the verse. In the beginning, God created male and female. When does Jesus believe that God made male and female? In the beginning. We cannot get away from the fact that every biblical author, that David, that Solomon, you'll see that today, that the author of the book of Job, that your New Testament Gospels, your New Testament Epistles, your New Testament general letters, your New Testament history, your New Testament prophecy, over and over and over declares that God made the heavens and the earth. The history channel is wrong. National Geographic does not align with God's Word. One more place we go to Genesis. You know, there's a lot of introduction here. I'm sorry, but there's just... You ever had so much you want to say, but you don't have much time? Go to Romans chapter 1. Actually, I think I got this one on the screen. Look at the warning we're given that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is verses 18 through 25. What I'm going to look at right now. I don't have it all for the screen. Too much content for that small area. But listen carefully. Listen what it says. Chapter 1, verse 18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Here's what the, what the writer Paul is saying. Truth about God is obvious. Truth about God the Creator, he's going to go on to say, is obvious. But man, in his unrighteousness, suppresses it. Suppresses it. Suppress means to 
hold down. It's a purposeful decision to push down. Man does this. Purposefully pushes down this truth. And let's just read on. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. It is plain. We see creation. It is plain for us to see. You can reason it and see. Verse 20. What can you see? His invisible attributes. Whose invisible attributes? God's, namely, His eternal power and His divine nature. His eternal power that He can create, that He did create, His divine nature. You see His character. You see, the char- you see who God, what is God is like, even from His creation. You see beauty. You see the power. You see the wonder of what there is. And it's clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Futile in their thinking. What this means is there's been a there's been an exchange that has occurred. A trade has happened. And, and rather than the, the knowledge of God, an exchange has occurred, and it, the thinking now is an empty-headed thinking that does not even align with logic. Now, as I said, God's Word and God's world cannot contradict What we are exposed to is interpretation by some scientists. Not all, not all scientists are evolutionists. You need to understand that. Many are coming to a conclusion. Not all of them are coming to a conclusion that the God of the Bible and Jesus is the Son and we put our trust in Jesus. Understand that. But many scientists are coming to an understanding. There has to be something greater than us. And they're looking for something. But what happens here is this exchange occurs for this futile thinking and their foolish hearts, verse 21, are are darkened, claiming to be wise, they become fools. Now listen to that. Claiming to be wise. I know what happened. I've got it all figured out. They become fools. A fool is an empty-headed person person. The beginning of wisdom, so the opposite of foolishness, is the knowledge of God. Folks, we have creation here to demonstrate to us who God is. And as you read through Romans chapter 1, you see that when we rip apart, when we take away the Creator, when we suppress that truth, man does wicked things. Wicked things to others and wicked things to himself when we suppress that truth. Just for an example, have you heard of the name Ingrid Newkirk? She's the founder and president of PETA. Okay? Listen to a quote from Miss Ingrid Newkirk. She says, A rat is a pig, is a boy, is a pig, is a rat. You see... When we take away the Creator, humans have no value. They have no value. Listen to this quote from, from, from another person in that vein of thinking. 
if we're going to kill off a species, let's kill humanity first. Because humans are only a minor species with a minor role to play in the overall diversity of nature. When we strip away who God is and what God has done, I want to say there are no limits to the depths we can climb to, but in reality, there is. There is. And the limit is death and destruction. That's the limit. We are in a world that opposes God, and we as the followers of Him must believe what He has said. Now you can go to Genesis 1, okay? Let's go there. Let's just read, okay? Let's, let's read Genesis 1 for a little bit. I want, you to, I want you to look for it. You could cram evolution if you wanted to. It's not here. There's no place to put it. One, one of two people have to be lying. Somebody's got to be lying. Somebody's got to be deceiving. Either the Spirit of God is lying. Or the scientist who interprets science and says that it happened through millions of years through a process of evolution is lying. Somebody must be lying. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I won't have time to deal with this. That's a very tender word. This word hovering. It's, it's a care word. It's not flying like a jet. That's not what it is. You can picture more like a mother hen over its, its caring for its eggs. Okay? That's what this is. God made the earth and He loved what He was making because of what He was going to place on that earth, you and me and humans. Verse number three, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. No time. No millions of years. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Let me say this. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now this is what happened. God made the light. And he made the darkness. So he separated, okay, the light and the darkness. He did that. And then there was evening... And there was morning the first day. So God made what he made. God separated it this time. He made it. And then there was evening. And then there was morning. And there was the next day. A lot like you yesterday. Yesterday. You mowed the grass or you gardened or you watched television or something. You had dinner. Okay. Whatever it is you did. You had dinner. Came to set up maybe. And you went home, and it was evening, and it was morning, and it's today. Well, that's the way life works, isn't it? That's just the way it works. Go back to the passage. And God said, let there be an expanse, a canopy, this can be translated, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. This is a cutting action, and waters now are separated. Okay? And God made the expanse and separated waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. 
And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens. So now we've got the bottom water. Okay, God did this with the waters, and now we're at the bottom water. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. No time. Where are you going to shove a million years? And it was so. God called the dry land earth. Why could God call it earth, by the way? Well, because he made it. If you make something, well, you get to name it. Don't you? Remember that. And the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. That's why we're in blue today. We're going to talk about the sea. Okay? And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed. How interesting. You've got these plants, some of them that bear seed right there, others that have fruit that's got seed inside of it. Good idea, God. Each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and it was morning, the third day. Now, if right then, if we could land in the Garden of Eden, Okay, imagine, there you are. And you're walking around, you're like, wow, God, look at that sycamore tree. Yesterday, my family and I went for a hike down in Shenandoah National Park. And there was a sycamore tree. And they said it was, it was dated like three or four hundred years, something like that. And if you landed there in that garden, you'd see that tree and be like, wow, God, that tree's like four hundred years old, isn't it? And God said, no, actually, it's about 30 minutes old. I just made it. Oh, weird. You'd walk down the road a little bit, and there'd be a shumac tree. You know these shumacs? I mean, they sprout up like in just like, you know, a couple years. You've got a shumac tree right in your yard. If you aren't careful, one will grow there like this afternoon. They're in your, in your shrubs, you know? Like, where'd this shumac tree come from? You'd see the shumac. Lord, would you put that here about two, three years ago? No, that was about 30 minutes ago. You'd walk down the road a little further, it'd be a weed on the ground, okay? Man, I hate those weeds. It's like I pulled one last week, and there it is again. Would you put that there last week? Well, no. I made it 30 minutes ago. You see, if you landed there on day three, you'd look around, and right there are mature trees. Why do I say they're mature? Well, because they're able to produce. They've got seed. Later on, if you landed on day six and, you know, you, you saw a, a person there, you saw my wife, you'd say, what, is she like 29 years old? Get it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 she's 30 minutes, okay? See, God made all of this mature and ready to operate. And if you looked up, and you saw that star. You know that star? I don't know. I wrote the name down somewhere. I'm not an astronomer. Did you know that? I'm not a scientist. Some of you know it. It's like 4.2 light years away. Which, by the way, means 
that light, tra- light travels 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles. And that first star that we can see is 4.2 light years away. So you'd stand there and you'd be like, wow, God, would you make that star 4.2 years ago? Because it took, you know, 4.2 light years for it to get here. No, God would say. Everything is made mature. Everything is made able to reproduce. Everything is made ready to roll. I've got the answer to the mystery you've been wondering about. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken came first. Mystery solved. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's, let's try, to, try to understand this. I want you to see this is a divine miracle. This is a divine miracle. There, there's, there's no room in evolution, for evolution in here. It is a divine miracle. First of all, let's deal with the gap. Let's deal with the gap. Now, you probably have heard it said before that potentially there's a gap between verse 1 and verse number 2. Let me read it for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness over the over the face of the deep. Now, there is a view, and I would say that this is the most culturally accommodating view. Many people accept or deny creation. Let me say it that way. Many people deny a creation only because they want to be accepted by those around them. And the most accommodating view is to say, well, there's a gap between verse 1 and verse number 2. Maybe it's millions of years. Maybe it's billions of years. Who knows, right? Well, the problem with that thinking is that is not a line... See if we would accept theology as the queen of sciences, our basic Bible interpretation would say, that's against the rules. That's against the rules in Hebrew. You're not allowed to do that. Hebrew 1, I'm sorry, Genesis 1.1 is a topic sentence for what is getting ready to follow. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is how it works. By the way, this is a great way to communicate. All right? Tell the person what you want to say. A topic sentence is a good idea. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Lord explains to us how that happened. Let me show you another example of that. Go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 13. This is how Hebrew narrative works. Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 13. You see it in verse number 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into Negev. Now that's the topic sentence. Then we have it described. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from... And so you just see it. Now the story is told. This is the way that Hebrew narrative works. There is no gap between one and two. It is not allowed hermeneutically. It's not allowed. I also want you to notice in verse number, let's see, verse number 2 and 9, there it is, verse number 2 and 9. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth at this point is covered with water. We can't have a gap between one and two where millions of years happened and many things died and, and things evolved. And, and so, because two says we have water. Similarly, look down at verse number nine. Okay, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. 
and dry land appear. There is no, there is no dry land at verse number 9. So if we put a gap between 1 and 2 of billions of years and say, well, that's where evolution occurred, so now I can be accepted in all circles because it's the most accommodating view, the problem is it violates what comes later. Verse number 2, verse number 9, and it violates basic hermeneutics of what you do with Hebrew narrative. Just deal now with day age, all right? Because that's another view people have. Excuse me. And I would say this is the most gospel damaging. The most gospel damaging view is a day age view. Or age day. Okay, I'll tell you what they are in just a second. Day age view is this. Well, come on now. God didn't really mean that he did that on day two. It's not a real day. It could mean millions of years. So day one was millions of years. I mean, after all, I say to you, you know, in the days of my youth, I did this or did that. And, and it can mean, you know, just long periods of time. And so that's what happened there. That was a, that's the day-age view. And you're familiar with this. Day two was a long period of time. Day three was a long period of time. Day four, and so forth. That's the day-age. Now, that does not align with Scripture. That does not align with Scripture. And so somebody got the bright idea and said, well, let's not do day age, let's do age day. Now listen to what this one is. This is the idea that God did what he said he did in one day because you cannot come to any other conclusion from your Bible than God said what he did in a day. And so the the, the day age view is this. God did it and they let it sit for millions of years. And then God did day two. He let it sit for millions of years. Day three, sit. Day four, sit. Now, I'm telling you, this is the most damaging to the gospel. It damages the gospel. It rids the gospel of its truth. Because we know as believers in the gospel that because of sin, man and, and death comes into the earth. The curse, because of sin, is death. Day age, or age day, whichever you choose, is dependent upon death. Dependent upon death. If you allow death before Genesis 3, you are ripping the power of the gospel away. It's damaging to the gospel. All these views are, are based on a view that things have continued the way that they have now forever. Okay? It's called uniformitarianism. All right? And what it is, I said uniformitarianism. All right? And it's the idea that everything is always operated the way that it is right now for all of time. So things have uniformly operated the same way. All right? Keep your finger in Genesis 1. Not really, because it is page one. But go to Second Peter, okay? Go to Second Peter chapter three. I'll show you this idea of uniformitarianism. But while you turn there, let me just tell you what this reveals. A person who believes that things have always operated the way that they are now forever, really what it is is they do not believe in God. We are not uniformitarianists, because a uniformitarianist believes 
that things have always operated the same way. It rids, it rids the creation of God. I don't believe for a second that things have always operated the way they always have. You know why I don't believe that? Let me give you an example. Dead people stay dead. Do they not? Do dead people walk out of a tomb? No, they do not. So I'm not, I do not believe that things uniformly operate the same way all the time. Once in a while, once in a while, God steps into the earth, steps into his creation, and changes everything. Day age, age day, gap theory, all depends upon this idea that things have always operated the way they are, and it explains in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me read to you verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. It is all through Scripture that God made the heavens and the earth. So the first point I want you to see is it is the divine miracle. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's take a look at this eyewitness account. Okay? Verse number 2, it says that the earth was without form and void. The earth was, this is the verb to be, so it is, the earth was without form and void. Now, without form, what this means is it's, it's unstructured, it's unformed. And void means it is unpopulated. So God made the earth, okay, by the word of his mouth, and it was unpopulated and unformed. And what, as we read on, what we find is that it's dark, okay? In verse number two, there's darkness and is covered by water. Now, this is what God said he did in the beginning. Verse number three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, what's going to happen here as we read through the first three days of creation, the way that God is going to form the earth, because it is unformed when he first made it. And the way he's going to form it is through a series of separations. A series of separations. The first one is light and darkness. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So there it is. He separated the light from the darkness. The light day, the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and it was morning the first day. Second day, as you read it, we already talked about it a little bit. This is, he separates the waters now. He separates the waters on day number two. So separation of light and darkness, separating of waters. Now, you wonder, what is this thing that he's doing? I mean, he, he, he takes the water and he, he puts some, above, some below and some above. And, and I think what we have here is God is creating what we call our atmosphere, what he calls the heavens. See it there in verse number eight? And God called the expanse heaven. So this... This thing above the waters he called heaven. Now, there are, there are some people who, there's some individuals, let's see, let me get the name right. 
Yeah, Whitcomb and Morris, okay? They are probably, you should write down the name Whitcomb if you're interested in creation science because you should research anything you can find that he wrote. And Wickham and Morris, they theorized that potentially, and I wanted to say it's a theory, and potentially this is true. I don't know if this is true because God didn't tell me it's this way in the Bible, but their theory is that when God separated this water below and this water above, that there was this canopy, and, and where they get that is, that's the Hebrew word that's used, it's for a canopy, and, and above this canopy was this water. And, and their theory is that this this water above the earth, you know, a picture like a sphere of the earth and then a, a ring around it, an outer sphere that is, that is a, a canopy of water. And their theory is that, that that canopy would have protected anything on the earth from the damaging rays of the sun. And what that would allow to happen is humans to live for long periods of time. Methuselah, 900 years Animals to be able to, to, to live on the earth for, for long periods of time. You know the amazing thing about reptiles? The older they are, the bigger they get. And potentially, what Whitcomb and Morris are saying is, this could allow for dinosaurs. Now, is that what happened? I don't know, sounds good to me, but I don't know. I don't know. All I know is what Genesis 1 says. It's a good theory. It's a good theory. But what we know is that God did this separation that happened. Let's go down to verse number uh, 9. And God said, Let the waters under heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Can you imagine what that was like? I mean, you know, I know we're, this is an imagination, I know, but go with me, okay? Put yourself there. The earth now is covered with water. The creator of the universe says, let the waters under heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And boom, it happened. Earthquakes, mountains shooting up from the water, our continents being formed, it says here they called them seas, and it is plural here, okay? The waters, he called them seas. We have lakes and seas and rivers. The wonder of this. Man, I hope when I'm in heaven, God lets me see like a video of that and just see the power of God's hand. I mean, wrap your finger around this. When scientists, who I respect their knowledge, I respect their understanding of the earth, and of earth science, and of physics, and chemistry, and, and biology. I respect what they understand. And as they look at what they see here, they come to this logical conclusion. In order for this to happen, the only way this can happen is for it to take billions of years. So as they look at this, they're like, this is embracing what they're saying. What they're basically saying is, this is impossible. And I'm going to only make it possible by putting a number of a billion on it. That's what they're recognizing. This cannot happen. Except. Turn your Bible one more time for today. Go to the book of Job. That's, go to the Psalms and turn left. 
Job is a piece of wisdom literature. And what that means is, it speaks to man's emotional state. It speaks to man at his heart level. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these are your wisdom books. Go to Job chapter 38 and hear what the Lord has to say. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. See, what's happened here is Job has questioned God. How dare you? Basically, Job has said to God, How dare you? How dare you do what you've done to me? How dare you? So God answers it from the whirlwind and says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Just for action like a man. I love that phrase. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, that's a word for angels, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made it clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? that it may take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Hear the word of God. God has declared what he has done. It was a divine miracle. The only hope, the only chance that scientists have even explained it is to come up with billions of years. It's a divine miracle. An eyewitness account is given. We're going to further go through Genesis 1. We'll be back there next week. What we see here is, for God, this is a huge deal. That he made the seas. That he made the land. That he made the light. That he made all that there is. What I want us to recognize is that God receives first place in our lives and make Him the queen of our thinking. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. Lord, You were there. You made it all happen. Lord, we want to go right now is we want to go to the fact that You came to earth and died for us. What power that you made us. What love that you saved us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bolster our trust in who you are and in in your word and in the truth of it. Lord, I thank you that you said it and it was so. So we want to praise you now, Lord. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.